So probably we can all think back to feedback that we received as students where it was so vague that we weren't necessarily sure what to do with it. Um, Can't I just circle a paragraph and write vague? (laughs) Welcome to Teach, Talk, Listen, Learn, a podcast featuring conversations all about teaching and learning from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. I'm Bob Dignan, and in every episode, I'll be joined by colleagues, faculty, and instructors from across our campus to talk teaching. This episode is all about student writing and some of the best practices and methodologies about giving feedback on writing assignments. Joining us is... Hi, I am Carolyn Wisniewski. I'm the director of the Writers' Workshop, which is part of the Center for Writing Studies on campus. So we have that campus-wide view of the writing that students are engaged in. I'm Lucas Anderson from the Center for Innovation and Teaching and Learning. I work with instructors on their teaching, primarily graduate teaching assistants. Even with multimodal assignments and the unessay in vogue, academic writing is deeply integral to our institution and higher ed. As such, that's a lot of important and time-consuming work in evaluating and assessing student writing. Hoping this conversation with Lucas and Carolyn highlights some new approaches to writing feedback or invigorates the approaches that work for you and your students. The Writers' Workshop is the Campus Writing Center, and we say that it's our mission to contribute to the creative and intellectual work of the University of Illinois by providing writing support. So we work with everybody in the campus community, predominantly undergraduates and graduate students, and we have three main services, and those are providing individual writing consultations, so people can meet with one of our writing tutors one-to-one and have a conversation and get feedback on their writing. We also host lots of presentations, including um, two graduate teaching assistants about responding to student writing. Um, And then we host writing groups for graduate students who are making progress on their own writing. Mm. So my role is that I get to see from a bird's eye view the, the types of writing that students are engaged with all across campus, the concerns and the struggles that they have and the celebrations that they have over their writing. And I also spend a lot of my time working with my staff to ensure that they are well prepared to respond effectively um, and in a kind of scholarship grounded way uh, Mm. to student writing. Mm. So with your work with uh, graduate student uh, teaching and training, is that how you two got connected? Yes. Yeah. Um, Carolyn gives at least one, oftentimes two excellent excellent concurrent sessions at the Grad Academy. Mm. So uh, one, one is on responding to student writing and one is a little more specific on responding to multilingual writers. Mm. But um, TAs from all across campus go to her session because they know they're going to be grading some written work and they want to do it well from day one. So it's it's really great to have her involved with that. Mm. Um, and that's why she's here now because I know she's got... <laughs> Good, good stuff. stuff to share. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, one of those good things that uh, I know you you uh, globbed onto quick in our discussion of what to talk about is this um, kind of method summary paragraph, or is there a better description of it? Maybe I'm butchering it. Well, right, because uh, I I don't grade a lot of student work anymore, but I do help people with their teaching philosophy statements when they're going on the job market, and I have just taken a technique I learned from Carolyn. Uh, to help me out, which is like reading through the entire thing without commenting and then putting together a summary comment at the end where it's actually to the student, like dear mm-hmm. student's name. Um, I initially try to summarize what I read because if that's wrong, then we immediately have our subject of conversation 
which is, um, I didn't catch what you were writing. We should probably start there. Hmm. Um, but then I give the, the best thing about the paper that I saw, like, like the single biggest thing that really stood out in a good way. And then I transition to the one biggest thing uh, they should improve on a subsequent draft. Hmm. Um, and then I go back and do marginal comments if I have the time. But oh, just okay. this notion of summarizing it at the end and really distilling the main message as kind of the primary thing I hope they look at has hmm. really helped me. Hmm. And I mean, I just remember getting that from Carolyn. So yeah, who knows what else we can give. From I know it's a podcast, so people don't know. Carolyn's approvingly giving nods the entire time. <laughs> She's like, yes, you're on it. You're on it. Good, good. But I, haven't, I haven't misattributed the technique <laughs> right, exactly. Well, that's just probably one of many kind yeah. of strategies that, that you talk through both instructors and yeah. kind of students on how to engage with their writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so this strategy, uh, I, I love hearing it taught back to me, but mm. uh, the strategy is meant to counter some of our inclinations. So I know when I was a graduate student just getting started and learning how to respond to writing, my instinct was to go linearly, just line by line, commenting as I'm going. That led to so many comments. It was overwhelming for me. It was overwhelming for my students. And so when I turned to the scholarship in my field to think about, well, what do we actually know about how to teach students through response? Mm -hmm. It presents this format, right? You do the skim, you write your summative comment, you write your marginal comments. And then if, if you need to address error, you do that in a limited kind of way. Mm -hmm. Right, so, and actually, can I hear more about that? Because I know yeah. uh, that that's the big thing my wife took from <laughs> mm. <laughs> took from meeting with you was how to limit the yeah. like grammatical yeah. ticks and stuff that you yeah. do. And, and I guess that's it's recommended to limit that kind of thing. That's such a big question. Yeah. And this is one that I get a lot from um, from tutors, from teachers, from graduate assistants. So um, how can I best help students to write to the expectations of standard American English that are expected in professional and academic settings, while also recognizing linguistic diversity and being respectful of students' backgrounds. And I think that's a challenging line to walk. Um, so in my field, we teach HACS before LACS. So that stands for higher order concerns before later mm -hmm. order concerns. Hmm. Um, and those later order concerns are often those kind of sentence level issues of like grammar, syntax, mechanics. Um, so we always recommend, you know, spend the majority of your time on those bigger issues of, of argument, structure, use of evidence, um, making sure that students are doing the assignment as asked. Um, and then, you know, after you have addressed that, focusing on just um, a pattern or a passage to provide some of that more sentence level feedback. And that helps to keep from overwhelming ourselves. And it also is um, teachable for students, right? We think about the cognitive overload of getting that, you know, super marked up paper and what that feels like when we get that back. Um, so we really encourage people just to focus on teaching one thing at a time, which is how we learn, right? Take, taking it a step at a time. And I know, um, I know it can be challenging because I, I hear from a lot of instructors who say, well, how, how do they know it's wrong if I don't tell them? Um, or, you know, instructors feel such responsibility toward helping students achieve academic pros. Um, so, you know, it's a hard lesson, but less is more is, is the lesson that I try to give when I'm talking about responding to student writing. And that iterative uh, approach that you're talking about mm -hmm. probably also plays into draft 
you know, strategies Absolutely. of, of mm -hmm. you will have a few attempts and improve yeah. upon them. Yeah. So what do you, what do you normally, um, coach along those lines for implementing writing assignments on campus? Yeah, I think where possible, we want students to be able to write multiple drafts to get feedback along the way. And if instructors are in a course where multiple drafts are not possible for some reason, then maybe multiple opportunities to do the same types of writing tasks, whether that is multiple iterations of reading responses or, or lab reports or something else, because that will also help them to carry forward the feedback that they get to the next uh, assignment or the next draft. But uh, research does suggest that students are more likely to um, remember and to implement the feedback that they get on drafts because there's that follow-up step, you know, there's something that comes after it. So we can strive to teach through our comments and our marginal notes on um, kind of final papers, but a lot of that learning is more likely to stick when we are um, commenting on drafts because of that, that practice element. <laughs> and, and maybe that frees us up at the end of the semester where it's crunch time yeah. not to have to give all the comments on the final yeah. drafts. Yeah, absolutely. You could just be like, you did the thing I asked between draft two and three. Yeah, you can refer back. <laughs> you can certainly, you know, just give summative comments instead of doing all of the marginal and maybe interline um, commentary. So definitely just focusing on that, that big picture. Great work. Wow, I can see your revision and your efforts have really paid off here. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what other topics do you uh, do you see um, across campus when I guess we kind of failed to fully set the stage that what we're talking about is um, giving feedback on yeah. student writing. And so we've started addressing a few strategies and we've started addressing a few of the things that we see. But uh, I'd love to maybe more take a step back and ask you as, as the nexus hub for a lot of this, what do you see? And you're probably seeing it from a student angle yeah. of confusion in assignment or struggle. Yeah. Uh, and then you're also probably seeing it from an instructor angle of how do I implement X, Y, Z, or I'm noticing my students are, uh, you know, falling into these pitfalls or something like that. So, yeah. so what are your kind of like top uh, items that you, that you see here? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to speak to the student perspective first, mm -hmm. and then, um, and then we can explore some of those instructor angles. But, um, when we see students coming into the writer's workshop, you know, they'll, they'll come at multiple stages, um, but sometimes we see students bringing in instructor feedback because they are not sure how to interpret it. Um, so probably we can all think back to feedback that we received as students where it was so vague that we weren't necessarily sure what to do with it. Right. Can't, um, can't I just circle a paragraph and write yeah. vague? <laughs> right. Or awk. I got a lot of awk uh -huh. question mark. Uh -huh. And I'm like, I guess it's awkward. Um, hmm. Uh-huh, exactly. Lacks, lacks clarity. There are very well-meaning instructors who have their own sort of notational systems that students need to learn to interpret. So some of what we do is taking a step back helping students think about what was asked in the assignment and helping them to synthesize the feedback that they receive um, so that they have a revision plan and a sense of next steps. Um, we definitely see the effects of teacher feedback. Um, so that could be either discouragement or motivation. Um, so sometimes students get feedback um, you know, that, that leads them along on their interest, that tells them what's working well, and that leads them to be more passionate about what they're doing and want to invest more time and energy into what they're doing. 
Uh, we do also see feedback that is discouraging, in including the rare occasion when a student is just sent to the writer's workshop and that's the instruction, right? Go to the writer's workshop or take this to the writer's workshop before I will look at it for you. Mm -hmm. So, um, right, so that okay. is well, that is discouraging. Got it. So, yeah. so but like you, you want us to send people. We do. But you don't want us just to look at like look at a paper, get a look on our face, hand it back and say, go to the writer's yeah, workshop. It almost strikes me as like your primary care physician just handing you a note that says, go see radiology. And you're like, um, right. um, yeah, just go see them. Uh -huh. Don't worry. They'll, they'll tell you all everything you need to know. Yeah, that's a good analogy. So um, we want our services to complement what's happening in the classroom and not to substitute for it. Um, and and I, can, I can say more about that later, but... Um, but that discouragement is real, and um, studies also suggest that um, students who receive negative teacher feedback or less teacher feedback are more than likely also to be students who are second language writers, um, students who are domestic linguistically diverse students, um, maybe uh, bilingual or multilingual students, or students who speak non-mainstream dialects of English, and first-generation students. Mm -hmm. So we really want to remind um, all instructors that, you know, our feedback can have unintended consequences and it can be used to motivate students to show that they belong and to reinforce the learning that's happening. Hmm. So that's always the message of the, the workshops that I do with hmm. um, the Grad Academy, um, that, that reminder that there is um, a human, a receiver on the other end of that stack of papers um, because I, I'm, I've been a classroom instructor too. I know what it feels like to get that stack of papers and to feel like I've got this much work to get through. Um, but remembering the, the human on the receiving end there. To turn it from like processing mm -hmm. uh, through a factory to yeah. connecting. Is there anything to be said about the whole like red ink on this? Is that a real <laughs> thing? I just, just think about that for discouragement. Like, oh, it's in red instead of blue or whatever uh -huh. i don't know i don't know i think um i think almost everybody i talk to has one of those stories of like oh i got the bleeding paper uh -huh. um <laughs> in in my own research and i do look at um how teaching assistants across the curriculum learn to respond to student writing so i, I collect samples of, of commented on work i don't know that i've ever seen red ink but maybe that's who's volunteering to participate sure, right. i think these days it's more like a plethora of word track changes oh um, right yeah, yeah. i because i maybe I, I missed the huge transition to mostly online submissions <laughs> like i, I graded Me in too. purple just because i like the color yeah um, well yeah in, in my undergraduate student writing it was print out a paper and get it into the mailbox but mm -hmm. that's yeah. a lot less common now i bet yeah mm -hmm. yeah mm. do you know do you know does that cause people to overdo it more than they used to when it's so easy just to like Add that's a, new a great question. And type your heart out. Or? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I don't think we have an answer to that question. Sure. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, mm -hmm. maybe maybe advice to instructors don't consider that as a license to like <laughs> right. print more right. comments. Back like, to Hawks and <laughs> exactly. Hawks. Yeah, yeah. Right. So there there's no like perfect um, rule of thumb for like how much is enough versus too much when we're responding to student writing. But you know, I encourage people if you just look at a page and if i'm looking at that page it looks like a lot it probably is too much right you probably want to think about refining the message that you are 
telling students through the feedback that you're providing. So sometimes I use the metaphor of a story, right? What story about their writing are you trying to tell them through their feedback? We only have one, one major plot for that story. Yeah, because earlier you mentioned uh, you could find an exemplary section mm -hmm. and kind of focus attention on some issues there yeah. and then convey uh, it, it's also happening in other places. Mm -hmm. So if you kind of work out the issue that seems yeah. uh, structural here um, to your writing, then you could apply what you've learned in, in yeah. other places. Yeah, okay. right. and that's actually a, a teaching approach. Sorry, Lucas, well, I no, cut I you off. Say, and and yeah. have to apply. Exactly. Like if, if, you, if you correct the whole thing for them, like one solution <laughs> is like, okay, just do everything the professor uh, said. Uh -huh. Whereas if you only have the one segment, like you have to figure out what like poor comedy <laughs> usage looks like. Yeah, elsewhere. That's a great. Yeah. Point. you're not just approving yeah. the changes your mm -hmm. your professor recommended. Yeah, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, which of course can be made very easy and you know not necessarily out of thought when we're using something like track changes. Except, except, except. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we are teaching a lesson through our comments, you know, identifying a pattern or marking a particular segment, indicating here's the rule, here's how you apply it, here's one example that I've corrected. Now you can go back through and you know um, finish correcting the rest of the text. Mm -hmm. And again, that's most effective when there's some follow-up activity, when they can um, resubmit a draft or, or turn in something that allows for a check at the other end of that. So uh, is that most of what you hear from kind of the student uh, conversations that start off that way, or? Uh, so students want feedback that tells them how to improve. That is the number one thing that I would say, right? So that is the, the counter to the kind of vague or the overwhelming feedback that we can get. And instead, having some concrete advice about um, here's how you could remedy this going forward. Um, so that, that could be something simple. Um, uh, here's a comma splice, here's how you fix a comma splice. That could be giving students guidance on structure. Um, this is what we expect from an introduction. This is what I saw in yours. Um, but giving something specific and concrete um, that gives them a tool that they can use next time around. Mm -hmm. That's the number one thing we hear, is mm -hmm. I, I want to know how to improve, not just that I need to improve. Mm -hmm. And what about conversations that come come to you from the instructor role mm -hmm. what what do those sound like uh -huh. or are they essentially saying the same thing but from from the other uh, side i think so and i think um i think what i hear from instructors are, are similar to what lucas shared earlier right we have this felt sense of responsibility to our students but also desiring efficiency in the grading and response process and i i think that there are ways that you can balance those things um but I think what I want to tell instructors is that students read what you write. Student effort is not always visible on the page, but we certainly know from the writer's workshop that they put a lot of effort into their assignments. Um, and so I think for instructors, I want to provide reassurance that the feedback they use, they provide is useful. Um, and then just you know some, some tips for efficiency, although there's no magic kind of, I don't know, carpet that can take us to an easier land of grading. It, it is always time intensive. Yeah. But the, the pattern that Lucas mentioned is time saving. It doesn't sound like it, but it, it makes the work more efficient. What do you think, Lucas? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Uh -huh. um, 
uh, again, I'm, I'm going back to especially early grading experiences yeah. where like I'm trying to give all the feedback that I want and mm-hmm. then I go back and like, was I even internally consistent with all my comments? Yeah. Uh-huh. And then I go back and make sure I'm making sense. Whereas this new method is like I come up with my summary first. Yeah. And now my marginal comments can more easily build on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why some of my marginal comments end up being see the summary comment. Yeah. This is like the best example of the thing that I brought up. Yep. Um, yeah. So it, it saved me. A, one, it probably saved me time on the first run through, but it definitely minimized like subsequent run throughs. Yeah. Like the sense I had as a new teacher that I had to get it exactly right for my students. So I'd go through it like three times in, in a method that I would never suggest anyone do. But I did, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. Right. And I mean, that's what I hear in my interviews, too, is because, you know, especially new instructors, they feel such responsibility toward their students mm-hmm. and to that role of being a college instructor. Uh, and I don't think taking multiple passes through an assignment is uncommon. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there is a lot of inefficiency in that process. Yeah. Yeah. And agonizing right. over... Am I commenting on the right things? Am I being fair and equitable to all of my students? Right. And and this may not be your area of expertise, but I think it's a good conversation to have for any of us. Like, um, like how bad is it if I mess it up? Mm. (laughs) How are you messing it up? I think is the question. Okay. Uh (laughs) Let let me go to my worst fears, which is like, um, I don't, I don't know. It's like, I, I gave feedback saying like the, the evidence just does not justify your conclusion. But in the back of my head, I'm like, well, if I read it more closely, like, does it? So, so I guess that's my scenario. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I write the summary comment, which is like, you know, really, really interesting thesis. I, I wish, I wish it were true. However, I don't think you provided evidence for it. Uh-huh. Um, and let's say, by <laughs> hypothesis, I'm just wrong in this case. Yeah. Do you ever, do you ever get uh, somebody <laughs> with such a weird schedule where they submitted the same paper to two professors and then they came to you with two totally different feedbacks <laughs> on their writing and it's like they submitted the same. <laughs> Paper to two different professors. You know, that's never happened, but I could imagine that happening. But I think a lot of times, so people perceive the responding of student writing as being a very subjective rather than objective experience. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very idiosyncratic. It just depends on the instructor. We all have our idiosyncrasies to some extent, but. I think that there would be divergent responses because the instructors would have different course outcomes and they would be grading toward those different course outcomes. And what right. I always tell people... The, the number of people who passed RET 105 who got to my philosophy class. I'm like, no, you're thinking <laughs> of the wrong things. Yeah. Right? I, don't, yeah. Yeah. I don't care about okay. that particular yeah. rhetoric. Your argument is weak. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. exactly. So there's there, writing is not... Static writing looks different depending on the different disciplinary expectations and course contexts that are set up. So those outcomes for writing are going to be variable based on class. But I always tell instructors, it's your job to respond as a reader, right? You are a reader in your discipline and you would tell students as you did, right? As a reader, I did not think that your um, conclusion followed from your thesis. And here is where I was lost or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why I would say I don't think that you can really go wrong when you're responding to student writing as long as your, your, your heart is in the right place and you're thinking about those, those goals or course outcomes. Mm-hmm. I was thinking earlier today there's got to be a 
there's got to be something we can do there. Because I, I work with a lot of teachers. Like, what yeah. do you enjoy about teaching? Oh, that moment the light bulb goes off, uh-huh. right? Or a bunch of other things. Never. It's like, I like sort of responding to student writing. I like grading. <laughs> but, but I'm like, but shouldn't you? Like, isn't, mm. isn't that the moment in which your students mm-hmm. are trying to reveal what they've learned yeah. and you have the opportunity to help them? And it's like um, a very ancient like, kind of connection of scholastically. Like, it's been happening that way for so long. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, why... That ought to be one of the things that makes the list, <laughs> right? So what can we do? That's true. I think one reason it tends not to is the way that responding to student writing is so awful, so often coupled with assessment, right? Okay. It's it's a it's judgment plus response, and and that makes it navigating to challenge. I think especially mm-hmm. for new instructors, you'll notice from the context of the writers' workshop we only get to focus on the response. We don't have to worry about evaluation. And that Mm, is a lovely and unique perspective to have on student Mm -hmm. writing, where we just get to celebrate their ideas and think about how they can improve and and not need to worry about the the grade that's gonna be stamped onto it. Mm. So um, I, I really do encourage instructors to write the responses first and, and then the grade to let their actual response in teaching to drive whatever it is that they're commenting on. And assessment matters. Assessment matters differently in different courses. Um, but I think that's one reason a lot of people dread um, the, the response process. Sure. So maybe, I mean, it's easy to say, maybe harder to do. Maybe we should celebrate more. Yeah. Right. When when the yeah. papers come in, like even if they're not perfect, mm-hmm. like oh this, I don't know. This the student had a real struggle, right? They yeah. they did a real thing, and Entro- it was hard for them. Entropy didn't win. Entropy, <laughs> entropy didn't win. Turns out it's gonna get a B minus maybe. Mm-hmm. But like, there's this incredible thing here. Is there a way to? Mm-hmm. And I guess I, I chose B minus on purpose. Like, what's the way to celebrate? Like, you know, you put a lot of work into this. There's there's a lot yeah. going on here. It, it turns out to miss a couple of the big things and it's going to get a B minus, but like, Mm -hmm. but great. Like keep, keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Be a cheerleader. Absolutely. Right. Right? Keep growing. Look how interesting this idea was. Look at how you have the, the seeds of this understanding of how we do analysis in this field or whatever it might be. Um, I honestly started thinking seriously about responding to student writing um, in my, first postgraduate position um, and I was teaching a freshman composition course and I gave a student a D minus and they brought that paper into my office hours and they said um, I've never gotten such a bad grade that I felt so comfortable about improving on you know wow. like they felt like the feedback didn't the feedback instead of being crushing you know helped them see these like concrete ways that they could improve. Um, yeah, I think I lost the thread yeah. of my thought. No, no, there a no. Bit. Tell, yeah. tell us how you did that. Because yeah. <laughs> I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to say, yeah, here, here here's the B minus that you feel good about and yeah. confident will be an A, a next time or something. I think it's showing the student they have been heard and that you have made an effort as an instructor to see where they're trying to go. Um, so doing something like what you mentioned, Lucas, providing a, a kind of summary comment, right? Mm-hmm. This is what I understood your main point to be, or you know, some kind of recap of, of their thesis or argument or analysis, followed by something that you can sincerely praise, not mm-hmm. just, this was good, um, right? But, wow, your thesis was really thought-provoking, or you found this 
this evidence that I had never thought of before, this article that I hadn't read, you know, like finding something sincere in the text that you can praise. And then again, being concrete in what you suggest students can improve upon. Um, and I think those first two things go a long way toward wanting students to, to be motivated to continue to persevere. Um, you know, saying that they've been heard, saying that there's something going well here. Sure. Wow. Yeah. And I know this is the second weird thing I've brought in my wife, who is not part of this podcast, <laughs> the lovely Barbara Anderson from Human Development Family Studies, right? But um, <laughs> this notion that so sometimes we get a piece of writing yeah. and maybe we're not being thoughtful and we're like, oh, the student didn't try on this. Mm. Um, there's an excellent chance we're just wrong about that. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the student tried on it. And, and yeah. if we give it dismissive commentary, um, because like, sure, we wouldn't have submitted something like this if we had tried does not equate to my student must not have tried because they submitted something weaker than than I would have submitted exactly so but but the the, the same things would apply if you are sincerely pointing out what's really there mm -hmm. I'm like even if in the back of your mind you suspect they wrote this the night before well there's still the main argument you can feed back to them yeah there's the thing you can sincerely praise yeah there's the mm -hmm. biggest thing you can fix yeah um and on the off chance you're wrong and that they worked really hard like, thank goodness. Yeah. Exactly. Right. You uh -huh. did that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and earlier when you mentioned that it's it's not easy to perceive the amount of effort that's gone into a piece of writing, it clicked into something we teased about earlier, which is addressing non-native English speakers at mm -hmm. a, a U.S.-based institution that is going to primarily teach in English. So yeah. um, uh, could we also hit on some of, like, there's a huge international student population mm -hmm. here, so I think it needs to kind of be addressed when thinking about this topic. So what what are those types of conversations look like in the, mm -hmm. the writer's workshop? Yeah. So in the writer's workshop, um, about usually about 50% of our appointments are with international students. And in total, usually between 60 and 65% are with students who identify as multilingual speakers. So that includes domestic, bi, or multilingual students. Um, yes, so, yeah, don't make assumptions is, is what I would say. And um, I encourage my staff to adopt a healthy curiosity about students' educational backgrounds and their prior experiences speaking and writing in English. Um, so academic English is nobody's first language. This is mm. something that we are all, you know, in the process of learning. We're at weird dialect. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that, that like advanced academic vocabulary acquisition and literacy skills, mm. we're, we're all developing that, but it's going to be exacerbated for international students. Mm. And I encourage instructors to talk with their students and to ask, how long did it take you to write this? How long did it take you to read this? Um, because, you know, more often than not, when we talk to those students, it's many times more than it might take a domestic student um, because of the, the additional processing requirements involved. Uh, when I interview students at the writer's workshop, they spend so much time working so hard for their courses. Um, but so, yeah, being being healthy, healthily curious, right? So it's, it's helpful for me to know, like, how long has a student been writing in English? How long um, is the longest paper a student wrote in English before coming to the University of Illinois? Mm. 
that, that can vary quite dr dramatically. Um, with some students, it might be the personal statement that they wrote um, to come to the university. Yeah, and it's okay mm -hmm. to um, collect this anonymously at, mm -hmm. say, the beginning of a course, especially sure. if writing is a, yeah. so you can ask for oh, totally. students to disclose that. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, I imagine domestic students, like what's yeah. the longest oh, yeah. paper Absolutely. you've written in English yeah. is Absolutely. going to vary yeah. based on their high school. Yeah, that's, yes. that just strikes yes. me as a global, con earlier when you were saying yeah. don't make assumptions, I think we are pulling out of just the international mm. uh, mm -hmm. uh, no, multilingual yep. student we were talking about first generation college students or any yep. any kind of topic you don't you don't have to put a label on it at that point yeah so that kind of pre uh, survey touching base might influence how you end up cheerleading them oh yeah throughout the semester yeah oh, okay yeah when I teach writing classes I, I love to give a sort of incoming questionnaire to all of the students that that includes questions like what's the longest um, paper that you've written um, what types of writing have you done before? What types of reading have you done before? Um, and maybe they're mm -hmm. not open-ended because I don't know if as an incoming <laughs> freshman I'd be able to answer that in an open-ended yeah. way. Yeah, so, so checkboxes or something? Some checkboxes, maybe a little bit of a mix. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah a mix of open-ended and some check checkbox questions. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay. uh -huh. yeah. But it's, it's helpful to know that because it will help you as the instructor to understand where your students are coming from and to set expectations and to know what you need to make explicit as part of the teaching context. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, sometimes we tell students, write an analysis. And students might not know how an analysis is different than a summary or from a description. Um, so sometimes it's a good reminder that we we take our terminology for granted. Yeah. I do think it's helpful to hear from people who who study um, second language writing, and and those scholars will say it might take years and years and years, if not a lifetime, for people to lose what we call a written accent, right? So that. Mm -hmm. Um, the the transfer of a first or home language into a second or additional language where we're likely to have a, a written accent in our academic work, whether that is dropped articles or um, uh, faulty prepositions or whatever it might be. Those things take a really long time to um, become fully uh, what we would call native sounding. Isn't there also um, a difference in the amount of work you expect your reader to do yeah. based on culture? Like, that is true like as in, well. In yeah. philosophy and yeah. English, I'm like, no, yeah. you tell me everything. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I've heard there are some other written cultures, which is like, come on, your reader mm -hmm. can put this together. Mm -hmm. So one thing that's really common is um, English is very deductive, right? It's okay. very linear. It, we start with a thesis statement. We preview the structure of the text. We expect topic sentences. We have a conclusion that tells you what you just read. Um, it is not uncommon for other cultures to have a more inductive approach where you are leading the reader up to the main point at the mm. end. Um, so this is a really common pattern in papers that we see at the writer's workshop and often just telling students that these two patterns exist is really helpful sure. um, advice for them. It's like seeing the matrix. It's like, yeah, right? Oh, <laughs> the poor, the, the right? poor student just like, you want me yeah. to ruin the surprise? Yeah, exactly. Right? You want me to tell yeah. you in the first paragraph yeah. what I'm going to spend five pages <laughs> yeah. Some people say academic right. English is very boring or it's very like workmanlike, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but we, we are a very um, uh, reader-centric um, kind of writing culture. Uh, so we do a lot of work for the reader, where, whereas others might um, be more writer-centric in some ways. Mm -hmm. yeah.
Yeah, that makes me think of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, journalism structures of the first paragraph has to basically contain what you're about. And so, yeah. I don't know, personally, I'm like, well, why read anything past the first paragraph if that's <laughs> all the gist is in there? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is a different kind of thing, right? Because, yeah, because in the journalism, they may not, they may stop reading it at any point. Right. Yep. Like, you, you can mm-hmm. at least count on your professor to finish the thing. One hopes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. But it's different than, you know, some some types of, you know, fiction where if you're talking about it, you constantly have to say spoiler alert because oh, right. you're building yeah. to yeah. uh, certain uh-huh. meanings and connections. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Sixth Sense, paragraph one. All right, so Bruce Willis yeah, is dead. Right. <laughs> paragraph one. <All> right. <laughs> yeah. Just... He was dead from the beginning right. or whatever. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, this is, a, this is one of my soapbox moments because I get up on this soapbox all the time, which is like, yeah, you're teaching your students content, but also remember you're probably also teaching them how to write like a fill in the blank because again they passed rhetoric 105 which is sort of very general that did not teach them how to write like a philosopher or how to write like a physical scientist Mm -hmm. um yeah and this is my soapbox moments instructors out there right (laughs) uh please consider teaching your students how to write like someone in your field yeah like on purpose (laughs) (laughs) Fill that in. Love yeah, that. instead of incidentally, but to, right. to your horrible comments. Or right, right. <laughs> Everyone got a bad grade because, yeah, right. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, explicit teaching, absolutely. Um, so provide model papers, um, mm. you know, include some lessons on expectations for, for writing in your field. Even something as simple as um, making a shift from MLA style essays to something like an APA style paper with headings is a huge shift for mm. our undergraduate students. So um, being being explicit. My colleagues uh, who do writing across the curriculum are cheering in the background uh, okay. as you say that, Lucas. Got yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming down and this sharing has been some fun. time with us. This was a great conversation. And, you know, hopefully we can keep it going. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. And thank you for listening. There are loads more resources and ways to connect with the Writers' Workshop at their website, writersworkshop.illinois.edu, which is linked in the description. We have an email for the podcast, and that's ttll at illinois.edu. Drop us a note about your teaching and even leave a story for us to share on a future episode. We'll gladly take ratings and reviews on podcast platforms or an email if you have any feedback to share. This podcast was produced by the Center for Innovation in Teaching and Learning at the University of Illinois. Episodes can be found on our website, citl.illinois.edu, and on major podcast platforms. We hope you'll find us there and join the conversation.